are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. For everything, there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. The God-given task. What God, uh, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Thank you, Shannon and Trill, Dontavius, Joshua, Lindsay, Drew. Um, Church, I don't know if you know, but this morning we've already been bathed in the Word. And uh, my heart is full just seeing um, God's Word on display as as we've sung it, as we've heard it spoken over us, as it's been prayed over us. Um, So thank you guys for leading us this morning. Um, as we continue our look into the book of Ecclesiastes, um, the, the CSB version of this text titles it The Mystery of Time, and uh, I think that's an appropriate way to think of this text because time is indeed a mystery. If we think back to when we were children, I know for myself it seems like time moves so slowly. Whether it was summer break, um, Christmas day, a birthday, a special occasion, whatever It may be even if it was just a friend coming over the following day, everything moved so slowly. Weeks seemed like years while waiting. But for most of us, um, as we age, time speeds up a little bit. Bless you. As we get older, time moves a little bit faster, speeds up, and then one day, We can echo the words of Dr. Seuss. How did it get so late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? Can anyone relate to that this morning? I mean, just try to remember 2020. There's this weird time gap to where I can't remember how long ago something was. It it could have been before, it could have been after, it could have been five years ago. Something weird happened when when time started slowing down because we're used to it moving so quickly. 
we think about it, uh, if you stop and think about it, it's October right now. Just think about that. Like, doesn't feel like it at the moment, but it's October. We often impart magical properties on time. We say things like, time heals all wounds, or it's always darkest before the dawn, or your time will come, the sun will come out tomorrow, the best is yet to come. And we say these things as though by simply waiting, life will get better. It's hard now, but the next season, that one will be better. It's going to be brighter, easier. We'll be content. Wait until I get out of school or until I find a good job or I find a spouse. Once I have children or once I have that promotion or the dream house, the next season is what I really always wanted. That's the missing piece. Or you may find yourself on the other end of the spectrum this morning where you look back and you think, I've already been through the best seasons of my life. I wish I had known then what I know now, that that's as good as it gets. That was the easy season. I didn't even know it. Those were the golden years. I wish I could just go back. Whether it's high school or college days or your carefree single life or maybe a season before you had kids when you could just pick up and take off. Maybe you're starting to feel your age a little bit and you think, this is it, all downhill from here. My prime is over. Maybe you're mourning the loss of days gone by and you wish you had done more in a particular season, that you had really made the most of it. And it's likely that there are seasons, um, maybe you're going through this morning, and maybe some in the room who are going through a particularly hard season, a tough semester, a recent tragedy, a season of depression, sickness, mental health struggles. It's possible that there are some here who feel unfairly targeted or singled out by God or fate or bad luck. You're just wondering why. And for some of us, the idea of this passing time scares us. And we can echo the words of John Mayer who sings, I'm so scared of getting older. I'm only good at being young. These thoughts are natural when we're contemplating life. When we zoom out and we start to think about eternity and the magnitude of time, how we got here, where we're going, what happens after death, it can be overwhelming to think about, and that's natural. So let's not be afraid of that this morning, though it may seem heavy, uh, may it may at times seem depressing because we are indeed talking about life under the sun, that is life without the hope of Jesus in a fallen world. This is a, a raw human emotion that's found in these verses. And just as we have seen in the last few weeks as we've looked into Ecclesiastes, the author has been clear that all is vanity under the sun. No work or pursuit can satisfy or bring peace. Neither can wisdom or riches or earthly pleasures. If this cursed world is all there is, then all is lost, all is vanity. So as we, as we continue this morning, we will see that putting our hope into time is empty. There's no hope in a new season. There's no hope in a previous one. Apart from Christ, all is vanity. 
The, uh, the last time that I preached, we were going through our value series, and I spoke of my strong feelings against spoilers. Um, but as we look this morning at the, this text from the Old Testament, we have the opportunity to look at it in, with new eyes in light of Jesus, but um, I think that it's important for us to feel the weight of these verses. We will look at this in light of Jesus But first, we need to feel the weight. Doing this allows us to worship all the more when we see the hope of the gospel, and it makes us um, experience the sweetness when we see Jesus in the end. So if we look at the first eight verses of this passage this morning, you may have recognized it. Um, It's actually written as a poem, and whether you recognized it from our text this morning or the song, Turn, 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 Um, It's known all throughout the world. In the 60s, Pete Seeger took these first eight verses and he added a total of six words to it. Created the song, Turn, Turn, Turn. It was made famous by the Birds, Julie Collins, Dolly Parton, several others, and it topped the Billboard music charts. Um, Appeared on TV and movies, shows like The Wonder Years, movies like Forrest Gump. And it comes across as a joyful message, a peaceful message, one that is soothing. It comforts us. It says it's okay. Everything's going to be all right. There's a season for everything. If you're having a tough day, don't worry. Your time will come. Good things are just ahead. And you know, that sounds nice. And it is. It is comforting to hear those words. But it skips over some of the truth we find in this message this morning. It skips over the tone It dismisses what appears to be the author's true intent. So let's look at these verses and ask God to reveal truth to us this morning. We'll try and unpack this statement a little bit more once we walk through the poem briefly, but it seems as though the author's intent is to showcase our shared human experience, the monotony of life for all who live under the sun. So as we read this, maybe you would take time to ponder your own humanity. Maybe you would recognize your own human experiences. You would recognize your own ups and downs as we read through these verses. Looking at chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So he's arguing that there's a season, there's an occasion, a proper time for everything. He uses the next seven verses to prove this point, starting in verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. This line is the first of 14 merisms that make up the poem. A merism is a rhetorical device. It's a figure of speech. It describes a whole thing by describing a few of its parts. So it's like saying head to toe when you're talking about the head, the toe, and the rest of the body. You might say bumper to bumper when you mean the whole car or inside and out or high and low or maybe you searched top to bottom when you really searched everywhere. And so here in this first merism, the line, a time to give birth and a time to die, he really means everything, all of life. It encompasses the rest of this passage as we will see. Everyone has a beginning. We were born. Everyone has an end. All will die. 
And if this cursed and fallen world is all there is, then all is truly vanity. It's a vapor that fades into nothingness. We're born, we die, the end. The author continues, and he points out seasons of life in which we may find ourselves. He says there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Again, by referencing the beginning and the end, he's talking about all of the seasons. Ideally, there are seasons where planting is followed by seasons of caring and nurturing, then seasons of harvest. And eventually, after you've harvested, you pluck up what remains and you begin again. Sometimes, as uh, Buster told us last week, you lovingly care for your plants and then you sell your home to new caretakers. And despite having hosted them for a, a painfully awkward wine and garden tour, and despite giving your best attempts at passing along all the important information on where the plants came from and how to care for them, despite all of this, the new owners eventually pluck up many of your precious plants from the dirt after failing to sustain them. And so um, the truth is that everything dies in the end, and it may die faster if I'm responsible for it, but the point is it doesn't matter. It all ends the same. Verse 3 says that there's a time to kill and a time to heal. There are a few possible meanings here, but one of which would refer to caring for livestock, where there are times when you make attempts to heal a wounded animal, but there are other times when the only option is to humanely put it down, put it out of its misery. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. If you own a home, there are times when it's appropriate to build it up, and there are times when it's appropriate to remove or tear something out to replace it. Verse 4 said there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. All of us, no matter who we are, experience a range of emotions in various seasons of life. There are seasons of true weeping and mourning. This is true mention of the Butler family. It's appropriate to weep and mourn at the loss of loved ones. There are seasons of laughing and dancing and celebration. Heard last night that some close friends are in the process of welcoming a new child into their family. Um, that's a time to celebrate. That's a time to laugh and dance. In the Old Testament, we see David dancing in the streets of joy, the entrance of the Ark of the Covenant. We see him mourning at the death of his son. Even David, the man after God's own heart, the king, went through times of both mourning and weeping and joy and laughter. Verse 5 says there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. For most modern ears, this is an, an odd line, but it likely refers to a common wartime practice at the time of this writing where one faction would cast stones into the fields of the other in order to make the fields unworkable. And then the other side would need to gather those stones and remove them and clear them before the fields would then again be useful for planting crops. Sometimes you're the one casting the stones and sometimes you're the one gathering them. Continues in verse 5, says there's a time to embrace 
There are times to refrain from embracing. There are times when it's appropriate to greet a friend with a hug, and there are times when it would be inappropriate. This would be all of 2020, the year of no hugs. I saw Hunter Spegg yesterday, and for those of you who don't know Hunter, he's the biggest hugger um, that, that I know, and I can always count on a hug from Hunter, but not in 2020. It's the year of no hugs. And so um, I told him yesterday that I was glad that he survived 2020. They're on the road this morning, so I told him I would be calling him out, but he gave me permission. Um, but there are times when it's appropriate, and you just need a hug from a friend, and there are times when we need to refrain. Verse 6, a time to seek and a time to lose. We all have times when we may feel like we're losing our minds. We leave something, and so we think, in its proper place, and we come back, and it's not there. If you have children, I know you can, you can uh, see this in your own life. I feel like I'm constantly looking for our remote. It's never to be found. Um, just a few years ago, we lost it and thought, you know what? It's going to turn up eventually. We still haven't found it. It's been two years. Eventually, we had to count it as lost. We had to move on. We had to buy a new one. There's a time to seek and a time to lose. There's a time to keep and there's a time to cast away. There's a proper time for holding on to things. There's also a proper time for letting things go. It's a time for throwing things out. And if I had to guess, if you're married this morning, you were on one side of this spectrum and your wife or your spouse is on the other. I know that's true for myself and for Logan. I know that's true for Buster and Michelle. One of us may find ourselves wanting to hold on to things because they're important, or they may make us smile, or we may think, you know what, I'm going to use this again one day. Logan's on the other side where she likes simplicity, and she likes to declutter, and she's eager to get rid of things that we may not need. There's a time for both of these. There's a time to tear and a time to sow. This refers to the act of Tearing one's clothes in the process of mourning. And then the proper time to mend them afterwards. There'll be seasons when you mourn. It's a part of the human experience. But there'll be seasons where you repair your clothes, you put yourself back together, and you move on. There's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. This one's tough. Knowing when to speak up and when to be quiet. There's a proper time and place for each of these. Proverbs has a lot to say about how and when you should speak. Chapter 15, verse 2, it says, The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive. The mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. Chapter 26, verse 4, Don't answer a fool according to his foolishness. There are times when we should speak out, and there are times when we should be quiet. And it can be difficult to know the difference. And lastly, in this poem, we see a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. We all go through seasons of love as well as seasons of hate, whether we intend to or not. It's part of the human experience. And while we may not have armies at our disposal, we wage war nonetheless, and we, um, we may take to Facebook. How many 
keyboard warriors do we have in the room this morning? And there are certainly things that are worthy of hatred. There are atrocities that we should be warring against. But there are also occasions when we should be fighting for peace. So in each of these contrasting pairs found in the poem, the preacher is describing the human experience. He's not advocating one nor the other. He's pairing typically a positive thing with a negative thing. But essentially, they cancel each other out. He's prescribing that there is a season, but not necessarily what that proper season may be. This is not an instruction manual for living, but it does paint a picture of the natural rhythms of life in a fallen world. John Aiken says of this poem, the point of the poem is the inevitable sameness and monotony of life under the sun. We all go through these actions of birth, life, work, love, and then death. Nothing really changes for humanity. Meaningless in life and death, in the end, pervade our experience in this cursed world, here today and gone tomorrow. This is just the way it is. We're all just going through the motions, but in the end, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. Ben spoke of his English teacher in week one who said, life is hard and then you die. Alistair Begg points out that the poem reveals the great absurdity of life because each activity cancels the other out. There are 14 pluses and 14 minuses that all add up to zero. For every up, there's a down. For every win, a loss. preacher continues in verse 9 where he says what gain has the worker from his toil I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with in verse 10 he's repeating what we saw in chapter 1 verse 13 where he said I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven God has given the people this miserable task to keep them occupied According to the preacher, there's no gain found in the toil and strife of life. In the end, it's just busy work. And this may seem like a pessimistic, a depressing outlook on life. But apart from Christ, this is the truth. It's all for naught. All the ups and all of the downs, joy and mourning times of fleeting peace and times of devastating war, the toils of work, elusive moments of rest. In the words of Jason Mraz, it all amounts to nothing in the end. So what is there to do in light of this? The preacher's response to this is found in verse 12. He says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. And also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. So that's all there is, to live a good life, to eat, drink, take pleasure in your work, because that's the best you can do. But church, we know that there is more to life than this. There's a reason that everyone, not just those of us within these walls, we're all searching for meaning, for greater purpose in life. 
There's a reason that we long for something bigger than the sameness, the monotony pictured in the poem here. And the truth is that God has placed something within us that isn't okay with resigning to this life being all that there is to hope in. I love verse 11. It says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart. Listen to that. He's put eternity in our hearts. A sense of and a longing for something that is bigger than ourselves. In 2014, a team at San Diego State University conducted a study with over 50,000 participants, and they were attempting to gauge um, these participants', participants belief in religion, God, the Bible, and then they compared this to a study done in the 70s. And not surprisingly, they found that in the 50 years that had passed, there was a significant decrease in any measurable spiritual or religious practice. What I found most interesting in their results is this. Though there was a significant decrease in the belief in religion, the belief of things spiritual, 80% of the participants stated that they believed in an afterlife. The leader of the study said, it was interesting that fewer people participated in religion or prayed, but more believed in an afterlife. So in a culture where fewer and fewer people are putting their faith in God or participating in organized religion, the vast majority still believe that there's something more to existence than what life can offer. Ecclesiastes tells us that the explanation for this is that God has placed within us a sense of eternity. So we know that we were created for more than this life, and though many fail to recognize the one true God, they are unable to remove from themselves the sense of eternity that God himself has placed within them. We sang it this morning, saying the words, we long for more than what this world provides. No shallow spring will ever satisfy us. And so each of us, not just Christians, not just those who consider themselves spiritual, religious, all humans are created in the image of God. And we long for something more than what this world provides. We're all searching. Our problem is that no shallow spring will ever satisfy us. St. Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest you. So we know that there is no true rest found in the seasons of life. Time does not heal all wounds. Our hearts were meant to rest in the one who created us. So we may look at someone in another stage of life. We may think, that's what would satisfy my longing for more. To be where they are the job, the wife, the next station in life, financial security, maybe just an elusive season where you're not quite as busy. But church, there's no season or phase of life that will bring you satisfaction. 
There's no season that will bring you lasting joy. If you could travel through time and you could go back to a season that you fondly remember, or you could go forward to any season that you think is in your future, you would find that there's no true and lasting peace. This is true of of work. As Buster led us through last week, no job or career path will bring you satisfaction. Neither will money. As John Tavius walked us through two weeks ago, there's no true and lasting joy found in the pleasures of this life. Yet we continue to return time and time again to these shallow, lifeless waters that truly never satisfy. What we're longing for is the living water that Jesus spoke of with a woman at the well. Living water that leaves us satisfied never to thirst again. It's a famous passage from C.S. Lewis, and it says this. We consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. So church, all of the things that life under the sun can offer us every season, every joy, even the best of times, are nothing more than mud pies. It's good to find happiness in the little joys of this life. As the author of Ecclesiastes points out, these are God's gifts. It's okay to find happiness and joy, but these gifts make for horrible gods. And so we're fooled if we think that any earthly pleasure could fill a, a thirst for eternity. So church, these longings should drive us to Jesus. He alone can satisfy. It's only after coming to Jesus that we can begin to experience true and lasting joy. Are we freed from the rhythms of life's ups and downs? No. But neither was Jesus. He experienced the full range of being human. He was born just as we were into a fallen world, and in his time on earth, he experienced times of joy and sorrow. We see him in times of celebration, like at the wedding where he turned water into wine. We see him mourning as he wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He experienced righteous anger as he fashioned a whip, and he drove out the money changers and the merchants from the temple. He experienced anguish that... Most of us cannot comprehend as he prayed earnestly in the garden on the night before his crucifixion. To the point that Luke tells us his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He experienced hunger and thirst. He experienced love as well as betrayal. 
And ultimately, he experienced great pain and suffering as he died the death that you and I deserved. But it's through his death that we find life. At the end of our text this morning, the preacher says this, starting in verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Church, we can rest knowing that God is in control. He is sovereign, and what he does endures forever. I love how the message phrases verse 15. It says, whatever was, is. Whatever will be, is. That's how it always is with God. So God has sovereignly ordained for you and I to be exactly where we are now, both the ups and the downs, the sunshine and the rain, both the seasons of building up and of tearing down. And though it's a mystery, though we will not come to understand it this side of eternity, it's for our good and it's for his glory. Even in the midst of these ups and downs, we're able to experience true and lasting joy because through faith in Jesus, we are counted as righteous. We're given access to eternal life to spend in communion with God. Everything is made right. Jeremiah 29.11 assures us that God has a plan for us. That plan gives us a future and a hope. Church, this is one far greater than what this world can offer. I think oftentimes we make that promise small. We limit it to maybe he's promising us peace. Maybe he's promising us more money. Maybe he's promising for us to be removed from this current ailment. That's not the future and the hope that we've been promised. We've been promised eternity in the presence of God. Nothing in this world can satisfy. But church, once our lives are properly oriented around the cross, we're freed from the burden of looking to earthly things for fulfillment. We're no longer looking for satisfaction in the seasons of life. We can enjoy the happy seasons of life for the common graces that they are, and then we can, we can endure the hard seasons with joy, knowing that this broken and fallen world is not our forever home. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that though we find ourselves in a broken and fallen world full of tragedy, full of sorrow, Pray that you would help us to be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. I pray that you would forgive us for looking to things 
that you made, these gifts from you. Forgive us for looking to them for satisfaction when we're simply worshiping the created. We should be looking to the creator. I pray that you would be with us as a church as we walk through Ecclesiastes, God, that we would see the hope that is found in Jesus, even though we walk through the hopelessness of living life under the sun. God, we hope in you. In your name we pray. Amen. This has been a sermon from Emmanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to Emmanuel with an I, Birmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel Birmingham. Thank you.